Good morning, everybody. My name is Grant. If you haven't met me yet, I'm one of the pastors here. And this morning, I've got the privilege of wrapping up our Christmas series, which, as you can see, we've entitled Advent, A Journey to Jesus. And our media team puts together a template of the slides that we use And unfortunately, the space they left for the title of my message wasn't long enough for the actual title of my message. Yes, I know it says on the screen, A Christmas Buffet. But the actual title of my message is, A Cape Colored Christmas Buffet. (laughs) And so I'm going to, my message today is exactly that. A cape-colored Christmas buffet. And when I say colored, I'm not talking about race. I'm talking about culture. And so I was, I was born in 1977. And so I'm a child of the 80s. And in the 80s, there was a Christian female artist called Amy Grant. And she sang this song. It was on one of her Christmas albums called Tender Tennessee Christmas. You know, whenever we hear American songs and carols and things, always involves the white snow and involves all the, the other very northern hemisphere kind of Christmas celebrations. And I always thought, and I'm a bit of a songwriter myself, I thought I would like to write a Christmas song about Christmas in Cape Town. Never got around to it. And then you know that feeling when somebody else does something and you say, I wish I had done that. So somebody wrote a song about Cape Town at Christmas. It's a local lady by the name of Tracy Carter. She wrote it a few years ago. And that song for me encapsulates because we don't have a white Christmas like they have in the Northern Hemisphere. But we do have white sand on our beaches. And we don't have some of the other trimmings that they have, but we've got some stuff that is inherently our own. And so I thought, what better way to introduce our cape-colored Christmas buffet than having Tracy Carter. Um, You can access this on YouTube. I'm using it with her permission today. So Tracy Carter telling us about Cape Town at Christmas. Thank you, Craig. Cape Town at Christmas. one you can't miss No, 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 no Be it the lights down at Lee Street Or the 15 kinds of meat <laughs> Cape Town at Christmas There's nothing like it Forget the falling snow. I said, Camps Bay, we go. Cape Town and Christmas is the one for me.
Tracy Carter, ladies and gentlemen. And Tracy has told me that that song is available on most streaming platforms. So if you want to play that while you're having your traditional Cape Colored Christmas buffet today, um, enjoy it. So, like I said, the title of my message is a Cape Colored Christmas buffet. Um, and like a traditional colored Christmas lunch, there's going to be a little of everything. Actually, if you've ever been to one, there's a lot of everything. Roland has got a story that he tells, and I'm not going to let him tell the story now, um, but he's got a story that he tells about the first time him and his family had Christmas lunch with Trevor Fisher and their extended family. It's quite a story. When you get a chance, ask him. But there's a little bit, or, or shall I say, a lot of everything. Some have some curry, there's leg of lamb, gammon, tongue, roast chicken with roast potatoes and vegetables, and then obviously at the end, some of Auntie Mavis's trifle and fridge tarts. Um, maybe you have a different culture. Maybe you have some turkey or some Yorkshire pudding or Christmas cake or mince pies. But whatever you have, today's message is like a Cape colored Christmas buffet. Because like with those foods, everything might not be for you, but there will be something for you. I was telling a friend of mine that when you go to these buffets, you need to be wise about it. You don't have to eat of everything. Okay, some of you don't look convinced. <laughs> you don't have to eat of everything. Sometimes you can decide, I have roast chicken and roast potatoes every Sunday. Today I'm going to give those things and rice. Rice is a space waster. Don't even worry with the rice. <laughs> have the stuff that you don't normally have. Or if you are going to have everything, then have just a little bit of everything. And today I want to encourage you, I'm going to put out a buffet to you with this message. And there's going to be a lot. But pick those things that are applicable for you. Throughout the series, we've been journeying to Jesus, starting in the Old Testament. And today we're going to be looking at seven characters in the Christmas story. Now we looked at two of those characters last week in Zechariah and Elizabeth. Um, today we're going to look at those characters and you can see the list of the characters there. Now, in some senses, we can't relate to these characters because we are separated from by them from in time. We're separated in culture, distance, and in many other ways. But I'm sure there's something, even if you find just one thing that you can relate to. As Jolene asked us, how do we respond now that we come face to face with Jesus? And why I think you're going to find at least something is because there's variety in the faces that I see here today. But there's also variety in the characters that you see on the screen. Some of them are young. Mary was probably no older than a teenager. And some of them are old. Some of these characters are women. Some are men. Some are Jews. Some are Gentiles. Some are deeply spiritual. Some, not so much. Some are wealthy and important. Some are poor and seemingly insignificant. Some are married and some are not married, but the one thing that they've all got in common was that like you and me, they were all on a journey to Jesus. Now for them, that journey culminated in the first advent. And I think there's something that we can learn from at least one of them. And I like the fact that the service have, has been so interactive because I'm going to ask that we continue that. I once attended an addict's support group meeting. And in this meeting, they did something which I thought was brilliant. When someone in the circle was speaking, if somebody else that was just listening to their story could resonate with something that the person was saying, or if the thing that the person was saying was true for them, or if 
they felt they could learn something from what the person was saying. They would just lift up their hand. As if they don't need to say anything, they just said, yeah, that's for me. Or you can say, maybe in this circles we will say, amen. Or in other circles we'll say, away. You know, that you can, you can like, I can relate to what you are saying. And this morning I'd like to invite you, if I say something... I'm going to present on the slide some things that we can learn from these characters. If something resonates with you, you don't need to say anything. Just put up your hand. The other people's not even going to worry about you because there's different things that they are relating to. And so like Christmas lunch, this has taken me hours to prepare. How long does it take to prepare a Christian lunch? Do you count it in hours or days? <laughs> it's taken me a long time to prepare. How long does it take you to consume a Christmas lunch? Sometimes a few hours. How much time do I have today to speak, to share this with you? So I'm going to make it easy for you. There's always that one auntie that's going to explain how we're going to eat it. I'll explain to you. I'll dish and you eat. Okay, so I'm going to dish and and I'll explain to you. What we'll do is I'll bring up the character. I'll bring up a few verses. So most of what we know about the Christmas story we find in Matthew 1 and 2 and Luke 1 and 2. And so I'm going to refer to those scriptures, but I won't read everything. So I'm just going to put some verses that will apply to what I'm wanting to draw out. And then I'll put it on the table for you and you can help yourself as you wish. I'm going to underline some of the sections that I think are applicable. And then I'll bring a a helpful slide at the end. So let's start with Mary, the mother of Jesus. We read about Mary in Matthew and in Luke and In Luke chapter 1, verse 28 and 29, we read, When the angel entered her home, he greeted her and said, You are favored by the Lord. The Lord is with you. She was startled by what the angel had said and tried to figure out what this greeting meant. So so Mary was surprised and she was confused. And then she does something which oftentimes Christians are reluctant to do. She actually questions God. She asks the angel a question. She says, How can this be? And look at what the angel replies. The angel answered her, The Holy Spirit will come to you. The power of the Most High will overshadow you. Therefore, the Holy Child developing inside you will be called the Son of God. Not only does the angel respond to her question, but the angel identifies that what's happening in your life, in your situation, even though it's confusing and even though it's surprising, the Holy Spirit is at work in your life. Then the angel makes this declaration, but nothing is impossible for God. How does Mary respond to that? She says, I am the Lord's servant. Let everything you said happen to me. And then the angel left her. And there's a few verses that I haven't included because it goes on from verse 46 to verse 56. Mary writes a song of praise to God. And so she basically responds in submission and in obedience and in praise to God. What can we learn from Mary? Well, have you ever been surprised or confused by what God is doing in your life? Have you ever had questions for God? Or do you even have questions for God now? And you'll see I put there in brackets, ask. If you've got questions, ask God. God can handle your questions. You remember Job in the Bible? He has all these crazy things happening to him. And chapter after chapter through the book of Job, Job just throws questions at God. But if you're going to ask God questions, here's the challenge. You need to stick around for the answers. Because Job asked God questions, and when God starts answering, I wouldn't want to have been there. He was probably red in his face, hung his head in shame. 
But when you ask God a question, stick around for the answer. Because God can handle your questions and usually there's revelation in the answer that God gives you. How did the angel respond? The angel said that the Holy Spirit is busy working in this situation. The angel also said, nothing is impossible with God. And Mary responds in the way that I think we should respond. She submits to God's will in obedience. She says, everything that you've said, let it happen that way. And then she praises God. And Jolene's already alluded to it. Our response should be worship. So we can learn well from Mary. What about Joseph, Mary's husband, Jesus' earthly father? We read about him in Matthew 1 and Matthew 2, as well as in Luke. Have a listen to what the Bible says from verse 18. The birth of Jesus Christ took place in this way. His mother Mary had been promised to Joseph in marriage. But before they were married, Mary realized that she was pregnant by the Holy Spirit. We remember that. We just read it before. Her husband Joseph was an honorable man and he did not want to disgrace her publicly. So he decided to break the marriage agreement with her secretly. Joseph had this in mind when an angel of the Lord appeared to him in a dream. The angel said to him, Joseph, descendant of David. Hashtag Psalm 89. Remember a few weeks ago, Ethan the Israelite introduced us to the descendant of David that would come and free the people from their sins. Don't be afraid, the angel said. Didn't the angel say the same thing to Mary? Didn't the angel say the same thing to Zechariah? Mary, don't be afraid to take Mary as your wife. She is pregnant by the Holy Spirit. And again, the angel points Joseph's attention to the Holy Spirit's work in his situation. She will give birth to a son. You will name him Jesus because he will save his people from their sins. All this happened so that what the Lord had spoken through the prophet came true. The virgin will become pregnant and give birth to a son. When Joseph woke up, he did what the angel of the Lord had commanded him to do. He took Mary to be his wife. He was sleeping, he had this dream, and as soon as he wakes up, he obeys. I think we can learn from Joseph. We can learn from Joseph, firstly, don't be afraid. Say those words, don't be afraid. Say it with some conviction, don't be afraid. Don't be afraid. Even though you don't understand what's happening around you, the Holy Spirit is at work. Don't be afraid. Joseph also recognized, because the angel pointed it out to him, Joseph recognized that the Holy Spirit was working in his situation and even in and around him. But the last part I'd like to draw our attention, because once he wakes up, he gets up and immediately he does exactly what God told him to do. I think we would do well to follow Joseph's example, that when God does speak to us, and he does speak to us, we will do well to immediately get up and do exactly what he said we must do. The shepherds, we read about them in Luke chapter 2. And I've summarized this first part because it's a bit long when you read it. So the shepherds were in the fields. Suddenly an angel appears to them and the Lord fills the area with light. He tells them about Jesus. He tells the, the angel tells the shepherds where to find Jesus, how to know that it is Jesus, how to recognize him. Then all of a sudden, with that one angel, there's thousands of angels. The Bible says a whole army of angels appear praising God. Now, in ancient Israel, shepherds were generally considered unclean in the community because of the kind of work they did. They were daily in contact with dirty, smelly sheep. 
They weren't just in contact with the sheep. And it's not nice, fluffy, counting sheep when you sleep kind of thing. It was smelly, it was stinky. They were in contact with the manure of the sheep, the blood from the sheep's cuts and scrapes, and the insects that flew around the sheep. And so shepherds were generally treated as outsiders. But what do we know about Jesus and his ministry here on earth? During Jesus' lifetime, he specialized in welcoming people who were regarded as unclean and outsiders. We pick up the story in verse 15. The angels left them and went back to heaven. The shepherds said to each other, let's go to Bethlehem and see what the Lord has told us about. I love that because someone told them something about Jesus and their response wasn't just to believe it. They said, let's go and see this thing that has happened. They went quickly and found Mary and Joseph with the baby who was lying in a manger. And when they saw the child, they repeated what they had been told. Everyone who heard the shepherd's story was amazed. I think we can learn from the shepherds. They, they told everyone their story. What can we learn? Firstly, if you're an outsider, don't let that be a barrier to you coming to Jesus. Don't let the guilt and the shame be the thing that comes between you and your journey to Jesus. But also, I want to encourage you, if you're struggling with the idea of Jesus, struggle along. But do what the shepherds did. They didn't just dismiss what they'd heard. They decided to go and experience Jesus for themselves. I listened to a talk by an apologist a couple of weeks ago who was saying that he can tolerate an atheist, but what he can't tolerate is a lazy atheist. An atheist that just decides, I believe there's no God. He says the kind of atheist that he can tolerate is someone who is at least willing to explore the possibility of God or to go and actually investigate this Jesus. That's what the shepherds did. And I think we'll do well. Don't just believe anything that anybody tells you. Don't even believe what I'm telling you today or anyone that preaches from any pulpit anywhere. You go to the Word of God and you verify that what the person is saying, you experience it for yourself. And you draw your own conclusions. That's what the shepherds did. They didn't take the and Even an angel came to them. They said, we're checking this thing out for ourselves. And I think many times we would do well, not to just inherit somebody else's faith, but to experience Jesus for ourselves. But they also did something that we don't do enough of. They told everyone, once they had experienced Jesus, they told everyone that they got into contact about their experience with Jesus. And you don't have to be the most eloquent. Shepherds were often uneducated people. But you know what people can't argue with? Is your experience with Jesus. You might not have the right words. You might not know all the exact theological terms. But you can say, like the hymn writer said, amazing grace, how sweet the sound that saved a wretch like me. I once was lost. I once was blind, but now I'm found. Now I can see because I encountered Jesus. And then tell the people around you. That's what they did. The wise men. We learn about them in Matthew chapter 2. In Matthew 2, we find these men, and this is their story. Jesus was born in Bethlehem in Judea when Herod was king. After Jesus' birth, wise men from the east arrived in Jerusalem. They asked, where is the one who is born to be king of the Jews? We saw his star rising and have come to worship him. 
Fast forward a little bit to verse 10. They were overwhelmed. So they come to Jesus. They were overwhelmed to see the star. When they entered the house, they saw the child with his mother. So they bowed down and they worshipped him. They opened their treasure chests and offered him gifts of gold, frankincense, and myrrh. And here we find these wise men who were looking for Jesus. They were asking. They were searching. They were knocking. And they came to worship Jesus. As soon as they saw him, it says... They immediately bowed down and worshipped. And their worship was characterized by giving. Someone once said that you can give without worshipping. But you can't worship without giving. If you want to worship God, it costs something. And I, I think there's lots we can learn from these wise men. If you want to be a wise man or a wise woman, search for Jesus. Pursue him. Remember last week we spoke about ask, seek, knock? If you want to be wise, ask and keep on asking and you will receive. Search and keep on searching and you will find. Knock and keep on knocking and the doors will be open to you. They had an unrelentless kind of searching. They traveled miles. They traveled months to find Jesus. And you will find Jesus if you search for him. If you seek him with all of your heart. The end of this message, I'm going to give you some practical takeaways. Call it barakat, if you will. Where if you go to a traditional Cape colored buffet style lunch, you must always bring a bucky with you. Preferably a five liter ice cream bucky. Or if you're a little bit more fancy, maybe a Tupperware or a Pyrex dish to take some of the food home for tomorrow. And I want to give you a takeaway at the end of this message as to how you can continue so that your search for Jesus, your journey to Jesus, becomes a journey with Jesus. When you come to Jesus, come to worship Him. And start with your life. One of the best worship passages in the Bible is found in Romans chapter 12, verse 1. It says, Brothers and sisters, in view of all we have just shared about God's compassion, so in response to God's mercy, I encourage you to offer your bodies as living sacrifices, dedicated to God and pleasing to Him. This kind of worship is appropriate for you. Offer Him your time. Offer Him your talents. Offer Him your treasures. Just offer God your whole life. Do you want to do that? If that resonates with you, you want to offer God your whole life. Let's put up our hands. Now, if you struggle to surrender, you may have a few things in common with the next character in the story. You'll see I didn't put his name. There's just question marks on my list. And most of us don't really like associating ourselves with the bad guy in the story. And every story has a bad guy. And I don't know in this section how many of us are going to be wanting to put up our hands that we resonate with this guy. But now I'm sure you figure out who the guy is. Tentative guesses. Herod. King Herod. We read about King Herod in Matthew. The same passage we read about the wise men. Matthew 2. Jesus was born in Bethlehem in Judea when Herod was king. After Jesus' birth, wise men from the east arrived in Jerusalem. Verse 3. When King Herod and all Jerusalem heard about this, they became disturbed. When Herod realized that he might need to give up his right to be king, he became disturbed. We read on. He called together all the chief priests and experts in the scriptures and tried to find out from them where the Messiah was supposed to be born. Then Herod secretly called the wise men 
found out exactly when the star had appeared. And he sent them to Bethlehem and said, Go search carefully for the child. When you have found him, report to me. Now, he didn't really want to worship this King Jesus. Actually, I noticed something interesting about Herod. He really just wanted to hang around with the people who worship Jesus. But he didn't really desire to worship Jesus himself. Actually, he wanted to kill Jesus. He wanted to kill Jesus so badly that he arranged to kill all the boys two years or younger that were born in and around Bethlehem at that time. Now, what can we learn? I don't know if we want to learn things from Herod, but maybe in what ways are you and I potentially similar to Herod? Well, does the thought of giving up control in your own life disturb you? Because actually that's what it means to be a Christian. Relinquishing the right to rule my own life. See, oftentimes, like Herod, we want to be the king of our own lives. A few months ago, Roland messaged this in a sermon. And when he said it, I needed to think about it. Because it sounded a bit harsh when he said it. And then on reflection, I realized it's true. He said, Christianity is not a democracy. It's a dictatorship. And Jesus is the undisputed king of kings and lord of lords. But the question is, is he king of my life? Is he lord of my life? Is he the boss? Does he have the reins? Is he in charge? Now, he's not a malevolent evil king or dictator. He knows the plans that he has for you. And these plans are for your good. They are plans to prosper you and not to harm you. Actually, the only time we experience harm is when we try to do things our way instead of his way. And it's been like that from the beginning. From Genesis chapter 3, when sin came into the world, you know when things went wrong? When humans decided, hey, let's not do things God God's way. Let's do it our way. Very often we are like Herod. We want to be in charge. We want to be the king, the ruler of our own lives. Maybe we like Herod in that we don't really want to worship Jesus. We actually just want to hang around with other people who worship him. Maybe I'll go to a service. Maybe I'll even join a group of Christians. I won't worship Jesus personally. I won't enter into a relationship with God personally. But I'll hang around with the people who do. Something interesting I noted that our relationship with God, yes, while it is very much corporate, and a lot of these things happen, the wise men traveled in a group, the shepherds were a group of shepherds, even Mary and Joseph were a husband and wife in a marriage, but God dealt with each one of them personally and individually, and both Mary and Joseph had to decide we are going to obey and submit to God's will. And you can't be a Christian by association. Just by attending this church doesn't make you a Christian. You need to have a personal relationship with Jesus. And we speak about that a little bit more as we get to the next character, who is one of the lesser known characters in the Christmas story. Very often you don't have little figurines of them in the nativity scene. But we read about Simeon in Luke chapter 2 from verse 25 to 35. But we'll just read a few verses starting with 25. A man named Simeon was in Jerusalem. He lived an honorable and devout life. He was waiting for the one who would comfort Israel. The Holy Spirit was with Simeon. 
and had told him that he wouldn't die. I'm sure by now you're picking up the Holy Spirit was extremely involved in the birth of Jesus. Every single character that is encountered an angel, or in this case, he doesn't even experience an angel. All that happens, actually, let's see what happens in the next slide. Moved by the Spirit, Simeon went into the temple courtyard. So what happened? The Holy Spirit tells Simeon, go to the temple courtyard. He goes, and Mary and Joseph were bringing the child Jesus into the courtyard at the same time. Just so happened to be there at the same time. Why? Because he was moved by the Spirit and he obeyed. Let's wrap it up with the next slide. Then Simeon blessed them and said to Mary. I'm going to pause on this slide because this slide poses a challenge for every single one of us. Simeon says these words, This child is the reason that many people in Israel will be condemned and others will be saved. Many will be condemned and others will be saved. He will be a sign that will expose the thoughts of those who reject him. Those words sound a bit harsh. He concludes, you can go to the next slide. Actually, no, we'll go back to that slide. I'm going to pause there for a minute. Because that verse, when, when Simeon says this, you will expose the thoughts of those who reject him. Sounds very similar to a few passages in the Old Testament. In Deuteronomy, Moses, just before the people are going to go into the promised land, implores people to choose between life and death. Deuteronomy chapter 30 verse 15. Moses says, Today I offer you life and prosperity or death and destruction. This is what I'm commanding you today. Love the Lord your God. Follow His directions and obey His commands, laws, and rules. Then you will live. Your population will increase and the Lord will bless you in the land you are about to enter and take possession of. But your hearts might turn away and you might not listen. You might be tempted to bow down to other gods and worship them. If you do, I tell you today that you certainly will be destroyed. You will not live a long time in the land you're going to take possession of. I call on heaven and earth as witnesses today that I have offered you a choice. I have offered you life or death, blessings or curses. Choose life so that your descendants will live. Love the Lord your God. Obey Him and be loyal to Him. Actually, Moses' successor, Joshua, at the end of the book of Joshua, says something very similar to the people in Joshua 24, verse 15. But if you don't want to serve the Lord, then choose today whom you will serve. Even if you choose the gods your ancestors served on the other side of the river, or the gods of the Amorites in whose land you live, but my family and I will still serve the Lord. You see, when we are on a journey to Jesus, eventually we get there. And every single one of us is on a journey to Jesus, whether we know it or not. Your journey has brought you to this service today. And for some of us, our journey has taken us to a point where we've accepted Jesus. But for others, today is that point. And like Simeon said, we have to make a choice. We find ourselves faced with what C.S. Lewis called the great trilemma. You see, having come face to face with Jesus, we need to make a choice. We need to make a decision. C.S. Lewis said you need to decide, was Jesus a lunatic? 
Was he a liar or was he Lord? Was he a lunatic? Was he a liar or was he Lord? And your answer to that question has implications for the rest of your eternal life. Let's bring it to a close with Anna. There's just three verses allocated to Anna, so we'll read all three. Anna, a prophet, was also there. She was a descendant of Phanuel from the tribe of Asher. She was now very old. Her husband had died seven years after they were married, and she had been a widow for 84 years. Anna never left the temple courtyard, but worshipped day and night, fasting and praying. Here is a woman who literally practiced the presence of God. Have a look at what it says. She spoke about Jesus to all who were waiting for Jerusalem to be set free. What can we learn from Anna? Well, firstly, to remain in God's presence. She stayed in the temple courtyard day and night. And what do we know about the temple from the New Testament? Our bodies now are the temple of the Holy Spirit. So like Anna, we can be in God's presence 24 hours a day. Like Anna, we could and should be practicing spiritual disciplines that make us ever more open to what the Holy Spirit is doing in us and around us through prayer, through fasting, through worshiping, through silence, through solitude, through service. We can also learn from Anna She told everyone about Jesus. I want you to notice something as we bring up the list for the last time of these characters. God spoke to every single one of these characters. Yes, in different ways. They were very different. To Mary, the angel Gabriel appeared to her. To Joseph, the angel appears to him, but in a dream. The shepherds have first this one angel, and then thousands of angels appear. The wise men didn't even have angels. They just had a star. And later on, they have a dream in which God speaks to them. Herod, well, he got all his information secondhand. He wasn't hearing anything from God. Everything he knew about Jesus, he had heard from someone else. With Simeon, it's different. No angels. He's got the Holy Spirit with him. And the Holy Spirit literally tells him, do this, and he obeys. Anna just waits in the presence of God through fasting and prayer. God desires to speak to all of us. And he needs just three things to be able to speak to us. All you need is God's word, God's Holy Spirit, and a heart that is open and willing to hear God and to obey Him. God is speaking to you right now in this message. Your journey to Jesus has brought you to this point. But unlike them, unlike these characters, your journey doesn't bring you face to face with a baby in a manger. We've been reflecting on it throughout the service. We know the rest of the story. We know how Jesus lived. We know what happened. And we know that he is the King of Kings and the Lord of Lords. So we are faced with this challenge of not deciding what we are going to do with this baby in a manger. But what are we going to do with Jesus? Was he a lunatic? Was he a liar? Or was he the Son of God? I'd like to close with a poem. He's just the baby. Ten fingers, ten toes, two eyes, two ears, one mouth, and one nose. 
He's just a baby, cries out for mum's arms. He lies in a manger in the innkeeper's barn. He's just a baby, yet the sky changed its form as a new star appeared when the baby was born. He's just a baby, yet the hosts of heaven sing, Hallelujah to this baby, Hallelujah, son of man. He's just a baby, yet he drove a mad king wild who stained the the streets with innocence looking for this child. Why? Because he's just a baby, yet will walk on the seas, feed thousands with nothing, and perform miracles with ease. He's just a baby, yet he will carry out the law, live a life of perfection, so man will fear no more. He's just a baby, yet he will speak to every nation, every broken heart and lost soul. He will fight for their salvation. He's just a baby, yet when they call him man, they will shout for crucifixion and drive nails through his hands. He's just a baby, yet at his final breath, all creation will shake, mourning his death. He's just a baby, yet when he's laid in his grave, he will rise three days later, victorious to save. He's just a baby when we look in his festive cot. But the truth is, he's not just a baby. He is the almighty son of God. We have got the benefit of hindsight, whether we choose to accept him or to reject him. We're not accepting or rejecting the baby in the manger like Herod did. He is the Son of God. And like Moses, I put before you life and death, blessings and curses. Choose life so that you will live. Shall we pray? Lord, this morning we thank you for your word. You have spoken to us through these characters. And there's so much we have learned and gleaned from them, Father God. But as we stand before you now, we stand before you needing to choose. Choose how will we respond to coming face to face with Jesus. And I pray that as your Holy Spirit was at work, at the advent, that your Holy Spirit would work in our hearts and in our lives. Lord, those areas that we have resonated with, whether we put our hands up or not, that your Holy Spirit would minister those elements of this word to our hearts, even as we leave here, Father God. We pray that we would leave here like Joseph, Get up and go do exactly what you told us to do. We want to be like Mary who says, Lord, everything that you've said must happen in our lives. That's what we want to happen. I pray for someone who's like a headed, who just hangs around people who want to worship God. Lord, I pray that you would transform our hearts so that we become like the wise men that seek you diligently that pursue you, Father God, and that when we find you, our natural response will be worship, the offering of our lives to you. So I pray that your spirit would continue to minister this word to our hearts. In Jesus' name, amen.